Hello and welcome to episode 108 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray directing traffic as we approach the orange light, prepare for the red and the chance to stop, give ourselves time to reflect on the absurd game and all that it entails. Too much? I wasn't expecting a traffic analogy to kick things I'll off. I'll be honest with you, neither was I. Okay. <laughs> right. But it's what came out. Uh, now, I'm a, I'm a middle-aged, middle-class white bloke. And like people who are young, that's not my fault, but it also doesn't make it okay. Uh, statistically, the majority of you listening are probably also middle-aged white blokes as well, because that's what statistics tell us is golf's demographic. Now, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with being a middle-aged white bloke. Some of my best friends are middle-aged white blokes. But there is something wrong, or is there something wrong, more to the point, with a recreational pursuit that leans so heavily that way, and indeed, is that recreational pursuit doing itself a disservice by not acknowledging and trying to change that culture? Interesting questions, and among the questions that we'll explore with our guest today, Dr. Hannah Brown, a newcomer to golf and an extraordinarily intelligent and interesting mind. Before we meet Hannah, let me introduce my co-host in this audio adventure, the very white, very middle-aged Adrian Loglo. Dr. Hannah is really, really, really smart. We're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Thoroughly outclassed. That's exactly right. We're Might have do- to declare a hostile witness. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to do a lot of listening and a lot less talking today. Enough out of us. Let's meet Dr. Hannah Brown. But before we bring Hannah in, I've got some homework for you all. I want you to press stop on this podcast and I want you to go away, hunt down the T for Two podcast with Karen Harding and listen to her excellent interview with Dr. Hannah. T for Two is now part of the Talking Golf Network, by the way, which I fail to mention Perfect. all too often. So go and do that. We'll wait for you to come back uh, and see you on the other side. All right. Good to have you back. One of the familiar tones now of Dr. Hannah Brown. Hannah, welcome. Thanks for taking some time. Oh, look, thank you for having me. Literally the least we could do. (laughs) So, uh, No problem. The seeds for this interview were planted last week when a discussion broke out on Twitter about the perception that golf is a rich person sport. There's lots of misconceptions about the game. You're a relative newcomer. Can you recall which misconceptions perhaps you held before you started playing? Which ones have been debunked? And importantly, which are not actually misconceptions but are broadly believed to be true about golf? And once you finish that question, we'll probably be out of time. <laughs> yeah, that should take us an hour, right? Um, well, let's talk about the, the actual misconceptions. So I thought golf was awful. Um, and so that's a misconception, probably, because I quite like the game. It's an interesting sometimes. word, awful. What do you mean by awful? That's a very uh, loaded look, term, isn't it? So if you're if you're if you've never been introduced to golf, and someone says, "Say, hey, let's watch the golf on TV," oh, mm-hmm. and it, it's it's like saying, "Hey, you've never seen the game of chess, and I'm just going to show you three moves by every player every two hours." And you're going to completely understand the game and you're going to love it. It is just unfathomable how they broadcast golf if you're if you're not familiar with the game. You know, you watch AFL, for example, and they show the entire game. They show you the vast majority of the players. They tell you who's passing to who. You know what's going on. You can see a good bit of the field at the same time. You go to golf and you might see like one person part on one hole and then you don't see them for another two and a half hours. And... How are you meant to follow the game? I just looked at it and I was like, what on earth is this? And so that was kind of my introduction. And then I guess my old man played golf and a long time ago. And so my very first entry to golf was like a junior clinic on a Sunday morning at like before the sun had come up because obviously that's when you're allowed to have the kids before. You can only have the kids on the course 25 years ago before everyone else played. So it had to be like, positively ridiculous time and we went to one lesson and I basically couldn't hit the ball but the real highlight of the session was my younger brother making contact with the ball so incredibly well on the first shot that he hit and killed a pigeon oh god (laughs) (laughs) and then he cried and that was it golf was over and I was like well this is shit like I can't touch. I can't make contact with the ball. He's a champion at it. He's made contact. The he's hit a birdie with pigeon. his first shot. He's cried. So there, my dad is like, "How on earth do I rectify this?" We chuff off off to to attempt him bowling, and then it goes down in history as the Browns' um, best and worst effort at attempting bowling. My younger brother, who's already lost his mind earlier in the day, he decides that he absolutely is about five, I think, absolutely will not use bumpers at the bowling, and he bowls zero pins over for the whole game. 
So that was the day I got introduced to golf. Um, and then my dad used to force us to watch it on TV, which I just couldn't have. It, it was just, I mean, it was heinous 25 years ago. It's still not should great be, now. It should, should be a law against um, it, shouldn't there? Forcing children yeah. to watch and golf then, on so TV. It wasn't until I met my good wife <clears> that um, she was like, I play golf. And I'm like, hey, this has been nice, but see ya. <laughs> um, and that, I mean, obviously that didn't happen. Uh, but uh, I got, you know, and then I realised it actually wasn't awful. It wasn't, it wasn't what it looked like on TV, and it wasn't the horrible experience I'd had as a eight-year-old. Um, and that it, but it did take a while to understand it. Mm. You know, I think the first time you go out there, or the first time you follow someone around out there, it's it isn't it isn't all like it's not all glitter and rainbows. It's not right. a simple you know, game, it's, Hannah. It's, it's not, long. Yeah, but it's not right. a simple game to understand either, is it? It's so multifaceted, which is one of the appeals of it. You mentioned AFL. Lots and lots and lots of successful popular TV sports are that way because they're simple. They happen in chronological That's right, order. Which, which is why and partly why golf is so different as a professional pursuit and as a professional sport because most of the people watching need to be players or you can't understand it. Most people who watch rugby league have never played and never will play rugby league. The closest they've been is to maybe touch a football in a sports store it's not true for golf you as you so eloquently point out you can't enjoy golf on television if you don't play it and have some understanding of what's going on just before we move on i saw you have a physiological reaction there like while hannah was talking did you not in subject your own daughter to the same <laughs> hell that hannah was just uh, explaining? i did i actually think your story there hannah is pretty typical i think so too um you know introduced to golf by a family member I, and yeah, I took my daughter to six a.m. lessons in winter. In winter, yeah, nice. <laughs> and yeah, this was it was also like it was where it like yeah. had been pissing yeah. with the rain. Yep. Yeah, it yep. was horrible. And that was how she associated golf was like wet, cold, like horrendous thing. That wet, cold, and dark. Yep, and, and, and difficult. Yeah, really difficult. <laughs> and so, very and difficult. hence, no fun at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, can we go again next week? Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it yeah, wasn't surprising it look, didn't take. Look at how you could reimagine that exact experience. Yes, right? this is what I wanted. To Imagine do. if you had a club that had a magician on a Friday night and a bit of live music sitting on the patio, and you took your kids out with a hundred other kids, and you know everybody sat there had a really good time instead of actually standing on the range. Everyone walked around the golf course. Everyone got you know everyone got handed one club, for example. Mm. You walked around the golf course. Everyone carried a beverage of choice, alcohol or non-alcoholic, given it's heart week, and we're talking about how to should be in the rest of my life, we're talking about how to look after your heart. Um, you know, and then everyone sits down and has a barbecue together, right? Like that's what it could look like. Mm-hmm. You could have an excellent time, you could walk a few holes, you could hit a few balls, you could see what the course actually looks like, you could meet a few other cool people, you could sit down and have a meal together, you walk away and you're like, Yep. That was awesome. Can we go back next week? But Hannah, who won? Who won the comp? Who had the longest drive? Who had the nearest the pin? These things are fundamental to golf. Without them, you're not playing golf. And you know, as well as I do, there are a majority of golfers, possibly particularly in this country, who will tell you that. Yeah, which is fascinating, right? Because you go to a women's clinic, you go to a county golf women's clinic, and let me tell you how much time you spend on the course. You've been talking to Sandy Jamison, haven't you? <laughs> no, I've been going to those clinics. Yes. Well, uh, right. So you've been to the actual clinic. So what is that offering yes. like and where is it going? Is Sandy right? Sandy says, we've been doing this for 25 years. We get hundreds and hundreds of people to sign up to this introduction to golf clinic. And they do their five or six week course and 99% of them are never seen again because we don't take them on the course. Is that true? Is Sandy, Sandy right Sandy gets about them that? on the course in 15 oh, minutes. If, if that, with yeah. With one He's club. Extraordinary. Walks a hole with them. Hmm. Yeah. And so then my re-entry to golf was with Sandy. So, you know, it the, the first time I came back to golf after I had romantically been gifted a set of clubs for Valentine's Day in 2020. <laughs> it's um, like Homer's bowling ball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but don't panic. There's some pink on them. I was into it. Okay. I was, you know, I was, I was working towards it, being married a year, and I promised in my wedding vows that I would, um, you know, I would give, <laughs> give the game a go. go. Okay. Um, we went out and saw Sandy and it was because, you know, my wife, Sam, she'd seen a brilliant story about him, I think in Golf Australia magazine, but could be anywhere, could have Caroline. been the advertiser in Adelaide, yeah. not giving anyone a plug here. Um, uh, and then, you know, about about one club and she knew that he had coached people that she knew in the past and she's been around golf for a long time. And we went out there, I got a one club, it's got a yellow handle, I still have it in my bag um, and like I was on the course um, and I made a birdie on the second 
that was like a year and a half ago. I'm not entirely sure it's ever happened again. <laughs> Have you had another birth? But I was hooked, right? It got you good. And then, right. yeah. And then I went to another women's class. Well, that wasn't a women's class. That was just a hangout with Sandy. Went to a, went to a couple of women's classes, and yeah, we 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 you know we we spent a long time on the range. We spent a long time in in bunkers, and that meant that you heard people say, oh, "I don't know if I'm ready to join because I feel a bit nervous about being out there." And like that's the worst case scenario, right? You want people to be like, "Yeah, I feel confident. I know what I'm doing." going to be okay out there, mm-hmm. going to give it a go. And that just isn't the narrative. No. And in fact, you get the other at the other end of the scale, you get people who've been playing for some time who aren't good enough to have a lesson. Oh, we should go and have some lessons. Oh, I'm not good enough for that. I couldn't, oh, go, and see, I couldn't yeah. go and see a professional. Oh, I thought you were talking about the other end of this. No, no, no. That's what I mean. Other people I, who I don't need a lesson. Who, no, no. Because that's also existent, pe- inexistent. People who, oh, I'm not good enough to have lessons. You come across mm. this staggering thing. Is there something about golf that attracts weird people, Hannah? Are we different to the rest of So I was thinking about this uh, earlier today, and if so, why? We, we focus a lot on some of the negative stuff around golf and some of the stuff we're going to talk about today about diversity and inclusion and some of the barriers to people coming into the game. Is there something about golf that attracts people who find exclusion weirdly appealing? Oh, that's an interesting question that I've never thought about the answer to. It definitely attracts people that like rules. Um, you know, I think that there's a lot of rules in the game and then there's that, like there's secret rules outside the game. They're the ones that I find the least attractive, like – don't come here if you don't have a collared shirt on or if you consider wearing black socks and a hoodie, you're going to be, um, you know, you're going to have your membership cut off. Um, you know, and those are kind of the secret rules that exist beyond the don't put your club down in a bunker and don't do this and don't do that. Um, I, I don't think they're necessarily weird. They may be wired differently, but I think they've also found out the secret and that is that the game's good. Like, you know, and I think they also understand the the secret of repeating the same thing over and over and expecting a different outcome. And actually, that's the definition of insanity, I think. Mm-hmm. So, perhaps, maybe weird. Um, but, you know, like, I didn't get at the beginning, how can you, what, how can you play the same course every week? Mm. Like, I can't think of anything worse than taking five hours of my day or longer uh, if you hit the ball like I hit it. Hits probably even a generous <laughs> term. Um and do the same thing over and over and over. And it took me, like, it took ages for me to realise that it's never the same. No, that's like, it, you you literally never replicate the same conditions, the same environment, the same thoughts going on in your head which prevent you from actually hitting the ball well. You know, you never, it's never, there are never two experiences the same. And I didn't get that. And so I think that there are people that have realised that actually that this game of like grass chess is really good and it's probably re- it's really good for you, you know, getting out there for that long and being away from, or just being angry at something different, I guess, but being away from work and the, the other stresses of life um, in an exercise format, like that's great. And that's the bit we don't really talk about. It, you know, it's uh, the, you know, how good is the game for you? How good can it be for you? You know, if you're out there walking, you get in, you know, some people, they hit nice straight balls. <laughs> they get in 7Ks if you mean it's like 14 and a half. Um, you know, it's it's super good for you. And I think that there are people that have worked that out and they've worked out that this is probably good for them. It might be, you know, I, I look at my wife. It's really good for her mental health. You know, she's better when she comes back from the golf course. And despite the fact that might have made her angry, she's more relaxed. You know, she's she's got a, she's got a, she's got a, got her juju back. And I think it's people that have worked that out. Are they in, are they crazy people? Yeah, yeah. But I think they're everywhere. Are they more highly populated at a golf club? I don't know. Maybe. But I don't think well, golf's unique. You can't get that elsewhere, can you? So that's you're going to end up there possibly. Just before Logue's got a question for it, but just before he does answer that, could anybody have explained that to you before you experienced the game and had it make sense? I think this is a real problem for golf in that you cannot understand that it would until like you gibberish. do it. Of course, yeah. No, nah, you absolutely can't. And I think that, that that's probably one of the reasons that its reputation is so poor and that uptake into the game is not very good. And that is because they're, it is marketed so poorly. 
you know, there, there isn't someone out there that's like, hey, this is a game you can play with your mates. This is a game you can be good at. This is a game you, you want to be professional. That's an option. You can sit down after the game and, you know, hang out with your friends and eat the best bowl of chips if you're going to Glenelg Golf Club because I can tell you I've eaten <laughs> chips at a few golf clubs and that's where they're really good. Um, you know, it's – but, you know, also it's a game for everyone. Mm-hmm. There, there is literally no – with the right – considerations and investments from golf clubs and from private uh, from public courses it is literally a game that everybody can play you know you don't have to have heaps of equipment you don't have to have heaps of money you have to have a bit of time and that is sometimes a very limiting factor it's but a luxury. there are options you could shorten the game you could make it super duper good and it golf doesn't do that it's made no effort to market itself or well, hasn't needed to everyone. not broke but and, fix it hasn't yeah. needed to that's right I was just thinking about, back to that question, does it attract weird people? I think there's something about the structure of the game, particularly here in Australia probably, where we're very heavily a club-focused industry. It's all built around clubs and memberships. Just that, the very entry to the game is exclusion. I am a member and you are not. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the culture that begins at that point there can then permeate into some very healthy and some very unhealthy uh, environments, I think. So perhaps it's got something to do with that. There's Because uh, you get to a point, public golf, we'll talk about public golf, obviously the importance of which we talk about a lot on here, but generally speaking, public golf is a funnel to a private or semi-private golf experience for most people. If you're going to become... I like that you think that because I think it's a funnel to nowhere. <laughs> oh, interesting. And I think that that's the issue. Interesting. The biggest issue. Interesting. Well, well, please please mm. expand on those, those thoughts. Well... Who's picking you up at the public golf course and telling you about the benefits and incentives of private golf? <coughs> and what are we doing to keep people, you know, to keep people in the pipeline, in the, you know, if you think of golf as a, your your journey in golf as a road, right, what are the facilitators and the barriers on the side of the road that keep you on the road? You know, we know that they're things like really enjoying it, going out with your mates, having high quality conversations with people that you really like on a regular basis. You know, we know what some of them are. But if you're at public golf and you're jumping on with a bunch of randos and what are the enablers and the barriers that keep you on the road um, and that keep you safe in the game as you go along? I don't think that there are very many. I don't think that there are things that there are enough barriers that actually, you know, and facilitators that keep you moving from public golf to private golf. Hmm. I think for the lucky few, they know someone who can introduce them. Like there's another one of those special rules that I like along with the black socks and the, all of the other <laughs> stuff. Um, you know, we, we watch at any time, any minute now, they're going to tell you you have, to reverse par- you have to reverse your car into the car park in these clubs <laughs> any minute now. Um, but there aren't, there aren't facilitators to get you from one to the other. And so they're filtering you to a place, but I feel like it's to nowhere because there's not like a heaps of but a great bunch of champions from all these golf clubs like popping around onto the public golf course and saying, hey, you should come and join us because they don't want those people there. That's true. However, and Sandy's right about this, if you go to any private golf club in Australia on a Saturday afternoon after the comp and there's 200 members sitting in the bar and you say, put your hand up if you started a public golf, almost none of the hands will stay down. So, both, both of those there is, things can be true. Exactly. So that, mm. there's probably a whole lot of, that fall off because there's no barriers, but enough manage to keep going to get to that. Funnily enough, the the ones that are going to put their hand up in that private club scenario have uh, have been able to get into that club environment without fear of rejection or fear of ostrac- being ostracised or anything like that because it's still a big step. Oh, but, absolutely. And a lot of them yeah. probably came back to it at a at an age where they were confident enough to like, yeah, I'm I'm going to do this. I'm going to go and take the plunge and be a member of a club. You know, they might be in their mid forties or something like that, which is statistically when that's going to happen. But uh, it, it can I can I follow up on that last little bit with one 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 additional question after the put your hand up if you uh, if you started a public golf. Follow it up with this: put your hand up if you've been out to a public golf course and looked for a new member for your club. Oh, well. mm welcomed a new member to your club how many hands do you reckon to be yeah, up well that's zero right. and yeah, yeah and, and this is the thing right like golf's decided it doesn't doesn't need to grow anymore because it got really popular during the pandemic but i'm not sure if it saw that the interest rates went up yesterday but that means people are going to be paying more on their bills and more on their mortgage and more on all kinds of things 
um, and golf going to get unpopular again? And then what's it going to do? Going to be like, oh, a popular once, and then we got a bit unpopular because we had the GFC, you know. And you can map the the people walking away from the game to these financial crises. We're going to have another. It's not going to be a crisis here in Australia, but the the financial landscape's changing, and all of a sudden, we're going to be at that same place. Like, how are we going to get more people into the game? Oh, I could have another pandemic. Like. And clubs, how are clubs going to survive? They're going to say, oh, we'll have to put up subscription put up rates. Fees, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll just charge That's the answer to everything. No, just put no subscription fees up. Rich. Yeah. Don't worry about it. We'll just charge people more money. Yeah. And, and, and we'll make a reverse parallel park their beamers. <laughs> that actually increases the divide. I'm, I'm interested by this uh, thought that you have of, of rails that keep people in golf. Ten-pin bowling bumpers. Yeah, the ten-pin bowling bumpers. Exactly that. Uh, the... Um, one of those rails which has is just got massive gaps in it is tee times and ac- accessibility to tee times. It, it seems to me like it's a very simple equation for people keen to get into golf. They've got free time on Saturday mm-hmm. and you can't get a tee time on Saturday anywhere in a metropolitan. Unless you pay a premium by being and, a member at a club. and Unless you pay a premium by being and a member And even then you're not guaranteed. And the public but, golf tee times that are available at those times are booked out weeks, months in advance sometimes. And too close together so you have an awful experience if you do go and have one. Six hour round or something. And it's very inconsistent. You can't be guaranteed the same tee time every week where you're going to be able to play with your mates. Has the pandemic helped us a bit potentially? That's a, that's a problem for golf that's not of golf's making. Rarely, we make most of our own problems, but that's a problem that golf. I mean, I that's, think that's existed before. But, but historically, people yeah. have only had the times. Weekend has been the time to play golf. It, it yeah. does take time. It is a luxury. You can't duck out sailing for fifteen minutes after you've been at work all day either. So some of the so that's obvious. But I wonder whether that might we might be being helped in that sense by golf. That changing work culture started long ago, and I don't know if it's going to be the majority of people, but I think there's more people with more time during the week than there used to be, and the yep. pressure on that Saturday and Sunday tea time is going to be less. And morning before. golf and, and twilight golf can Some of those be things. more encouraged. Yeah, well, twilight golf, right? Like, you know, and shortening the game. Yeah. Mm. You know, if you if you, if time really is, you know, time is the greatest commodity, right? Like, it's the thing that you – you can make more of a lot of things. You can print more money, but you actually can't make more time. And so thinking about how you make the game more time smart is isn't that really, about, really important. But isn't that about you know, options, Hannah? I mean, it, it, rather than saying golf needs to take less time, I think what you need to have is that there is that there's no stigma attached to playing less than nine or 18 holes of golf. Golf actually yeah. doesn't, doesn't need to take any more than playing one hole if that's what you want. In fact, who did we have on the I Seek podcast who was selling golf by the time? Do you remember uh, that? It was a really interesting yeah. concept. Yeah, it was an app. It was an app and you could just book a, an hour's time at a nearby golf E-goal. course. and E-goal. E-goal. Yeah. So, so, again, I think that's – we don't market that, you're right, but there's nothing yeah. that says you can only play either nine or 18 holes. We just haven't made it publicly acknowledgeable that, in fact, you can play yeah. one hole of golf. The thing is that to. culture's really hard to change. It is, right? Yes. People are hard to change and culture's hard to change. And so thinking about how you actually – you know, sometimes you have to market thing to market things differently to create culture change. You know, you look at, you know, it, think about mobile phones for example. Like we went through a period where, like, what was the smallest mobile phone you had? Like we went through a time where the uh, the entire aim of mm-hmm. marketing a mobile phone was to make it as small as you possibly could. Right, like you could barely send a text message on these things. You were having like you needed a microscope Try to be able to yeah. use technology them. marvel, wasn't it? The smaller you could make them, the, the nano phone. Yeah. Well, you everybody can't thought, even oh, see it in my pocket. And then all of a sudden, Apple came into the market, and they were like, "Our phones are massive, and it's a good thing." Right, and they had to completely change the culture and thinking. You know, they had to. Because all of these people are like, oh, I want something that fits in my pocket. And Apple were not only like, it's not going to fit in your pocket. And if you drop it, it'll smash. It'll but don't worry, <laughs> we'll charge you more to repair it. Like, and we all got sucked in to these massive phones, right? Like, there aren't too many. There, how many people are walking around with one of those Mo- Motorola razors these days with that tiny little flip phone? Like, no one. You and Because you can now, they, they changed the way you consume from your phone. You know, they made it an internet device as opposed to a. Yes, device that makes phones, and you can do that for golf. You know, you talk about the game differently. You know, you make a big bash for golf. You know, a a six hole, everyone plays six holes, and we have some kind of, you know, and I know they're trying to do that with, 
you know, there are versions of the game trying to, you know, get comp shorter, but make that for normal people. You know, make the really good things, the really, you know, the really marketable, really fun, really interactive, really engaging, really accessible options for normal people, not just for professionals. But the uh, course doesn't loop around <laughs> six holes, Hannah, and then you, you know. Well, you know, people are going to have to walk. But this is a massive issue, right? Oh, we're a shotgun start and we have to start on 16 and that's four <laughs> kilometres away. It's like, well. This is your game. There you go. Good complaint voice there. Actually. You've touched on something really interesting, and this is this is this is something that we often talk about here. This is fantastic. Interesting discussion. Lots of not a single non-golfer listening, and this is true of all golf media. Mm-hmm. I write for magazines and websites. Not a single no, apart from maybe my mum occasionally, and your mum I know listens. Oh, to maybe my mum. She doesn't play golf, but um, she, she finds it hard not to be a champion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. That uh, speaking about different forms. So, a couple of summers ago, up at my former club, Mangrove Mountain, you know, the, before the pandemic, when the team, when people it was hard to get people onto the golf course, they had this idea during something. You know, seven holes for seven dollars, you could make a seven hole loop. Not a single person from the club ever did it. What? Not a single person. Seven seven for seven went out in the club news. I don't know. Seven for seven. Yeah, only promoted to the members to start with. Not a single person walked into the program and said, "I want to do the seven for seven. So. Focusing on it, those of us who are already members or the the existing membership is not a great way, I don't think, to change culture. They don't want those products. The people who play and are members at golf clubs right now like golf the way it is. Mm. That's why they do it. If they didn't like it, they'd have missed the bumpers on the sidelines. They'd be doing something else instead. That feels like a real barrier. Some of the biggest barriers come from within golf, don't you think? Oh, look, absolutely. And, you know, think about if you compare it to the game of AFL, right, where is the money made in that game? No, it's at the professional level. Because it ain't made by people, like it ain't made by people like you and me playing. No. Right? It's because the game has fans. Mm. You know, fans that don't play the game. Mm. Because it's good to watch on TV. It's good to go to. How many fans are there in golf? Non-playing None. fans. None. They'd be well, weird. of course not. Right? Because it's shit on TV and it's a long walk on the day. Here's the thing. Yeah. I've, uh, I don't I've know about that. this. That's partial, I think. That's a bit simplistic. I'm no, not sure you're ever going to make the, golf. The TV coverage is terrible, but I don't know how you fix that. Well, Maybe you turn it into a video game, as you've complained about for years. <laughs> no, I quite like. I quite like the PGL uh, idea, though, where it is shotgun starts and things. So the, I think that Team partly uniforms. they're trying to address that thing of having it. Um, be a sequential. Think, isn't it the wrong place to start? Why would you want non-golf people to be golf fans? That the only thing that services is professional golf, and they're already doing all right. That does almost nothing to attract people to the game, as we know, which is not about shooting sixty-three and winning a million bucks. It's about all the stuff that Hannah talked about at the start. Mm. So, getting too carried away with professional golf as a product, I'm not sure. Yes, we have lots and lots and lots of golfers to tell you they Tiger started playing because they watched Tiger Woods on the TV, but most of those people you hear that from have gone on to become Jason Day uh, and that sort of thing. So yeah, professional golf. Professional golf's never- role is not unimportant, but it's probably more important for once people have started the game. And getting people started, I don't see professional golf ever being able to achieve that. Complete opposite of all those other sports like AFL that you mentioned. You can watch AFL on the TV and go, that's amazing, I want to give that a go. There's a few people who see golf on the TV. They don't think that's amazing. You want to give it a go. They see a person, Greg Norman, Arnold Palmer, Tiger Woods. He's amazing. I want to be him. Yeah. Then they go on golf as the vehicle. They still don't really understand the mechanics no, of the tournament or no, you know, exactly how right. that person built their record. Here's the thing. Why isn't uh, – now, I've got to be careful how I phrase this. Walking a golf course mm-hmm. isn't considered an activity all of its own. Without playing? Without playing. Good idea. Good point. Um, and it, it, uh, when I say walking a golf course, I don't mean randomly taking paths Starting a golf at the first course. tee and yeah. walking the course. Exactly. Starting at the first tee and walking a course. Actually, you and I have done it a, we've done bit, it with, a fair bit. But we've done it with Clates. We, so. did, we did it with Mike Clayton. <laughs> and That's a show. We were effectively spectating. Uh, like we were going along, watching following from the first golf. to the 18th, yeah. watching people play golf. We were following the groups of amateur golfers like you would follow a tournament. Really exposing us as severe nerds here. <laughs> it's not, and not making us cool. I see Mike, Mike Clayton's been on a couple of week at the time of this recording. He's been on a couple of week trip overseas. I, I'm not sure he even took his golf clubs, but it, yeah. he would have walked a lot of golf courses yeah. over this last couple of weeks. And he would have mostly done it from the first to the 18th. 
and he would have made fun of some of the groups as he was going through. Or, no doubt. <laughs> and applauded the good made, shot. And, made all sorts yeah. of comments about them. And you're walking fast enough that it's pretty easy to skip ahead to the next group. And the whole thing can be done in you know two and a half hours or something yeah. like that, walking a complete golf course. And you've experienced the golf course. Uh, but for some reason, we as golfers feel like our relationship with the golf course isn't properly consummated unless we've taken divots out of it. And... <laughs> And, but to me, why don't we accept just walking a course as an acceptable activity in, in that order? Because it's reasonably safe as well to oh, walk so in the, the direction of play. That's the safest way to do it. Okay, two things about that, Hannah. I never thought we'd come to the word consummate on a golf <laughs> podcast, so I'm, I'm pleased about that. I'm, I'm irrationally pleased that that's happened today. That we had a. Dave Hill one a golfer on and he talked about some ideas thrown around at a public golf forum. One of those was the idea is allow people who don't play golf to walk the course. When you were a non-golfer, would you see some appeal in that, just walking the course, watching other people play? I know my mum and her friends used to go and have lunch at the Asquith Golf Club because the restaurant had the big floor-to-ceiling glass windows overlooking the par 312th and they'd sit there and enjoy the tantrums. <laughs> the people were throwing, thought it was enormous fun and sport watching people lose their shit about playing golf. Can you can you see any appeal about just walking around the golf course watching not professionals but just ordinary people play? Is that something golf courses could lean into? I don't know. You know, I think about my entry to the game. I, th- I think about if you understand golf, uh-huh. then probably yes. If you're out there by yourself with no idea what's going on, that's going to be a long walk, mm. you know. And I think, you know, I think about my that 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 was my lived experience of an introduction was walking the course. You know, Sam was your playing in the pennant. She's team. a very good player. Your what? For those who don't realise, is she club champion maybe at hunting? She is the wife? club champion at yeah. the moment. Yep. Um, you know, and so she she was playing pennant, and I was walking behind her. Actually, the very first time I went out was not long after we'd started dating. And I learned a really important lesson, and that is that there's a cart that brings you gin. Um, <laughs> is that right? Yeah, on a Saturday. And they were like, anyone want a gin? And I was like, oh, I'm right into this <laughs> I mean, game. Are they this free? I'll take two. <laughs> yeah, oh, I just need a number. Anyone got a number? Um, you know, uh, but it maybe if it's a bit more like, you know, if you can keep that not too rowdy, then – Potentially, but my introduction, my interest was because of her. Mm-hmm. You know, would I have ever gone out and done that just to watch a tournament? I don't think so because I think that my experience to that point was so impersonal mm-hmm. and I was so disconnected from, you know, I was actively disconnected from the game. I thought I didn't like it because of what I'd seen and because of the, mm-hmm. the small amount of experience I've had. Would I push that and break that barrier to get out and do that? Probably not, but you know, I, I, it's, it's not so much about me, you know, middle class, you know, white person with, with job and enough money to play golf. Um, you know, think let's, you know, if you re, reimagine the game for a refugee family that have just moved to Australia, they ain't going out walking the course, right? And you know, I think, you know, I work in health, and I think one of the most important things we think about health when. We're thinking about people who are perhaps underserved by the system or who don't have as much as everybody else because despite the fact that we would love health equity, that is not yet a thing even in Australia where our healthcare system is pretty good. You know, we intervention needs to be designed where it services the people, the most vulnerable people in society. I don't, we're not talking about vulnerable people in golf, but we are talking about people who are the most distant or for whom travelling to enter the game would be the most difficult. And if the solution works for them, it works for everybody. And so, you know, it's, you know, that, mm-hmm. and, you know, what that actually just means is that the three of us, people who are interested in golf, passionate about golf, fanatic, some might say, um, we aren't the person, people no. to solve this. We're not the target. We actually need to engage with the right stakeholders. And that's what all good solutions look like. It looks like sitting down and co-designing really good solutions with the right people, and we're not it. We can lead the conversations. We can join in the conversations. But fundamentally, we need to listen to people who aren't interested in golf. You know, it needs to be, you know, if this was something you considered, what are the barriers for you? 
And then we need to break each of those barriers. And then that goes back to, well, then what are those enablers, right? What are those road enablers? And what do we put up that supports those people? Because whatever their journey looks like, that's probably like to get to golf. There's going to be less barriers for a wealthy white dude. So whatever we design for those people will work for everybody. I mean, it works in health. If you design for the most vulnerable in society, solutions work for everybody and everybody gets a better outcome. That's the way you need to approach it in golf. It needs to be co-designed. It needs to have the right people at the table. And despite the fact that we're passionate about bringing new people to the game, it's not us. That's an incredibly uh, sensible take. Fr- confrontingly take on, so, isn't it? And asking the right <laughs> questions as well. Like, if you were interested in this, what would you like to see or something like that? Because I think a lot of our engagement with non-golfers uh, involves this assumption that they're interested yeah, that's why you corner them at yeah. barbecues and just, and just berate them into loving the game the way you do. That that's right. I love my game. Yeah, that's, that's right. That, that starting assumption of like- Haven't you heard how great this game is? Exactly. Yeah. If you were interested, yep. what would it be that would get you, It what would entice you to get into this and then keep you in it as well, those guardrails? I want to come to your paper that you wrote, Hannah, because I find it really interesting. But before that, here's a th- so I was thinking about this this morning, and you may already be infected with this, Hannah. Fairly quickly, once you're a golfer- you forget a whole lot of stuff about being a non-golfer. There's a whole lot of assumptions that just become your daily reality and perceptions. I am often confronted. Here at the studio, I meet lots of people who are not interested in golf, and a lot of people are actually anti-golf, and I always find it quite confronting. So, how could you like golf? And I have no actual straight-up answer. Like, well, how long have you got? Sit down, I'll tell you all about it. Well, that's not going to work, is it? If you hate the game, you're going to sit and listen to me talk about it for two hours. And if you did, you probably wouldn't be interested in it afterwards. So we forget as golfers what it's like to be a non-golfer. And I think that makes it hard for us to have sensible discussions with non-golfers, which is, I think, what you're getting at there. But we as golfers need to remember that we've got our own language Mm. that's completely completely indecipherable to people who don't play golf, birdies and bogeys and swing planes and inside to out and, uh, and chipping and pitching and <laughs> all this sort and of all crazy of, stuff. all of the etiquette. The mm-hmm. etiquette, that's right. I, I think another interesting barrier to entry or, I mean, this is, again, trying to perceive what it's like as a non-golfer looking in is this perception that you've got to be good mm. so you're not going to embarrass yourself in certain situations, like when you're hitting off the first tee, uh, or when you're playing in your first competition or something like that. How long does it take to be good enough to not embarrass yourself? Be a golfer. And, uh, like, I think I remember a conversation I had with my daughter, which probably doesn't help, that she doesn't <laughs> play the game now. off the game, yeah. Uh, she, she said, oh, when am I going to be able to hit it like like you've just hit that one or something? And I was like, oh, it might be. But I'm, <laughs> honestly, it's going to be maybe four or five years. <laughs> <laughs> so, and you're staggered that she plays tennis. Yeah, I, instead, I, I, look, I'm just going to be honest with you. It could be four or five years, and you, you may never get there. Like, <laughs> not everybody well, gets there. That, that's the other thing, right? Is the game ain't easy. No, and, it's hard. You know, I think that you know, you think about you know, and, you know, I guess there are there are there are a growing number of coaching programs for some kids. I wouldn't say they exist for all kids for golf. Um, but what does it look like after that for most people? You know, we aren't running kids' comps at public courses for, you know, for Saturday sport, for example, for young people that, you know, at some point pretty early on, you got to get into a, you know, we're not, there, there's no Saturday sport. You know, lots of people drive their kid to a, you know, to whatever the options look like. I don't have kids, you know, that. Netball. You know, the Milo cricket or the, you know, the Aussie rules options that exist on the weekend and, you know, everyone gets out there and has a go and, you know, it's done in a very low-cost manner and that doesn't exist for golf. You know, this kind of inter-club but n- club, mm, you know, it's right. used in a, a pretty loose term, you know, not like member of a club but, hey, this is where lots of kids from your school go to or this is what the inter-school comp looks like mm. on a weekday, on a weekend. That doesn't really exist. And so you have to get beyond that point very quickly. And, you know, you're always going to lose a lot of people when that's the thing, when there's money barriers, when there's time barriers, when there's language accessibility barriers, you know, at least when you go out to those sort of big groups, you know, you know, I think, look at how the AFL have marketed, you know, there's this brilliant, there's a brilliant ad around this young, I, I probably, I think, African girl and her family and her dad getting into the game, becoming a fan of the game, learning the language of the game, 
from an AFLW perspective. And I think it speaks to everything that golf could be, but isn't yet, you know, and I think, but the, you know, the, the time pressure, the pressures on the time sheet on a weekend, that's a big part of the challenge, right? Because how do you make time and get, you know, what are the options to bring heaps of kids and their families together to make it something families do together on a weekend when there is so much pressure on the timesheet, right? How do you make that a thing? Well, the first thing you do is Where you can actually bring heaps of people into the game. I don't know the answer to that. There are answers. Mm-hmm. And one is that golf doesn't have to be played on a golf course, right? No, you know, but, but ultimately- golf, golf course is just a park. That's true. But ultimately, it kind of needs to be or it's it, – ultimately, it is golf. Point, you're exactly, you're exactly like, right. But your entry to AFL isn't on Adelaide Oval. No, 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 nor is your first game of golf should it necessarily be at Royal Melbourne or Augusta National, even though for some people, no doubt, it is. One of the first things you do about those pressures, Hannah, is you don't allow governments to close the public facilities that are accessible to all. That's part of the importance of that. And this notion that we can just push the... But what did Nicky Gemmell say? I don't mind if they take it out into the suburbs where there's more space, but leave the green space for the rest of us in the city. Take the golf elsewhere. Well, then you've just signed golf's death warrant. Mm-hmm. Because that's the end of that. If you're a city kid, you have no. Nikki wants to take away your chance to experience the game and decide whether it's something that you might like. Yeah. Because she yeah. doesn't like. Even, it. Again, even it comes adults. that comes back to marketing. If governments don't think that it's a good investment, they're not putting their money no, there. Golf you know, needs to make them think it's a good investment. It needs to show. It, golf needs to make its case, and and we don't. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, where's the compelling argument for? you know, less heart attacks in people that play golf or, you know, better long-term um, long-term brain health because people are ex- exercising regularly. Like there is evidence from the scientific side that if you exercise regularly that your brain health is better and that your heart health is better. Find that evidence because you know what drives, you know, what drives decision-making by the government? Mm. Reducing the healthcare bill. Yes. Like just on heart disease alone, we're spending $15 billion annually just to manage heart health care in Australia. You know, like every 12 minutes someone dies of a heart attack in Australia. Wow. Can golf fix a bit of that? Probably, you know. Are people dying of heart attacks on the golf course still? Yep, that's definitely a thing. But it has a role to play, a really important one, and none of the good stuff's marketed. No, yes, you're absolutely right. I want to come to this paper that you wrote, Hannah, because I'm intrigued by this notion. There's a bunch of stuff on it, but we're not going to have time to get to all of it. Uh, the paper was entitled Reimagining the Game and Business of Golf in, in Australia Through an Inclusion and Adaption or Adaptation Lens. What does that mean and what did you find? Yeah, look, I, I think it means that the game can be – it doesn't have to be the way that it is. And, you know, I guess I – you know, I thought about my entry to golf and I thought about – it's funny you talk about what your – you know, how, how far you get from your early lived experience of the game and what entry looked like and then what that means for your experience much further down the track. Like I suspect that the two of you were just jaw-dropped when you heard a few weeks ago that there was a woman who'd never played golf in a group full of women. Like, you know, mm. I, I mean, even I found that astounding. I found that shocking. But obviously my wife was a woman and introduced me to the game, so my game, my entry is different. But... You know, I thought about what my experience looked like and I thought about the fact that despite all these things, I really like the game. I have lots of reasons to want to be near the game because my wife is so passionate about it and so good about it and so good at it and the game is so good for her. And I was like, well, what's it going to take me? Like what has to be reimagined and what has to be adapted for me to think that this is a good investment of my time and my money? Um, Because I haven't joined a club. You know, I I have the means, but I've chosen at this point not to. Why? Because it it doesn't feel like the right decision for me. Why? Because when I make business decisions in my life, you know, when I'm thinking about buying a new car or, you know, choosing which company to buy whatever particular thing from or working out where to volunteer my time or any one of these things, I take a holistic approach to this, right? I'm like, what is their commitment to things that are really important to me and what's it going to take to get me across the line? And for golf, it doesn't get any of those box ticks. And so I was like, well, what's it going to take? You know, I'm a person in a bisexual person in a same-sex marriage. And for me, even just that 
the game of golf feels exclusive to that bit of me. You know, add in the female thing, there's another level of exclusion that means that it's not as accessible as it could be. Then I'm like, well, do I want to do things that my all of my friends can't do? So, for example, I have friends who identify as non-binary, um, you know, and the game of golf is extraordinarily binary. You know, there are no options for non-binary people at the highest level of the game. Do I want to be doing things and do I want to be talking about things and do I want to be selling things to my champion these things to to people for whom the game is not inclusive? No, I don't. You know, I, I, I wouldn't buy a car from people who, you know, who were exclusionary for big reasons and I'm not going to buy golf from those people. And so that was the thinking behind it. And obviously I was, had done an MBA and I was very – I'd spent a lot of time – slagging on science not slagging but thinking about the challenges in in science which and stem and research which are often not different to some of the challenges in golf particularly around keeping people in and creating a pipeline of innovation and a few you know some lots of the other things we've talked about today so it was like well what could the game do like what are the opportunities you know i took just a fundamental business approach strengths weaknesses opportunities threats What's really, you know, what are the best parts of the game? What opportunities arise from thinking about what that looks like? And how could we make it really inclusive? You know, how could this genuinely be a game for all as opposed to something where we say, oh, there's no real reason why everyone can't play. How do we get to the, you know, how do we get to the the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow? How do we make it as good as it can possibly be? What did you find? I mean, part, aside from anything else, before we go that, there will be a significant portion of people who are in the golf industry who will be interested in what you found simply because it might be more profitable. Mm-hmm. Is that a reasonable driver, that the moral imperative means nothing but that there's a potential commercial return on that? Look, businesses are for profit. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, some of these organisations probably consider themselves charities. I don't know what the status of all of these organisations are, and they might consider themselves not for profit. But fundamentally, you've got to make good business decisions. And it's, you know, it, what 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 define profit, right? You know, because profit can be money, but that that does current money doesn't have to be the only currency, mm-hmm. right? You know, you want the game to be better for different, you know you can innovate the game and have the game be better the experience be better and that can be considered what the currency of you know the currency of of gain is it doesn't have to be about money but fundamentally yeah you'll make more money you look at the biggest organizations in the world they have identified that if you have more diverse boards from a gender perspective from a culturally and linguistically diverse perspective any of these perspectives if you bring disabled people to the table all aboriginal and torres strait islander people to the table if you make your board look like that and your organisation look like that, you make more money. You know, it's there's that that's not there's no question around that. You know, the organisations are also better for a whole range of other reasons that they can characterise. But yeah, fundamentally, you make more money. Does the game want to make more money? Probably. Am I? Is that the reason I did it? Absolutely not. No. I have no interest in that. But yeah, you know, it, it it could it be strictly a financial discussion? Yeah. Is it going to return on the short in the short term? Probably not. You know, we're talking about the game a decade from now as opposed to the game next year. It's an odd business too, isn't it? The business model of golf is not a straight supply and demanding that this club and membership idea and what you feel like you're buying and what you're paying for it and what that club needs to do to service that mm. desire within yep. you. There's a whole lot of politics around all of that. Sorry, yep. like, well, it, it strikes me as you're doing something very sensible, Hannah, and, and that is thinking about golf from – or you're applying processes and uh, – experiences from your everyday life and from your job to golf and say, and asking those same sort of questions like, you know, the problem solving that you would do in your research, you're, you're applying that problem solving process to golf and saying, okay, does this apply to golf? And of course it does. But uh, it, it always strikes me as odd that golfers somehow forget. Oh, the, their, the lobotomy at the gate is an extraordinary They completely phenomenon. forget everything that they know about life and, and everything and play by some different rules in some sort of different universe when they're inside a golf course. And it applies to everything. I mean, we've talked a lot about how it applies to golf course design and how everybody's an expert about where a bunker should be placed. Whereas if you went and stepped into their office and said, oh, I think you've put uh, that number in the wrong column of that spreadsheet, they'd, be, they'd tell you to piss off. Like, ex- I, I know what ex- I'm doing. And they'd explain why. <laughs> they'd, and uh, it's so how, it's they how don't you apply get bored. that assumption. And, and I think about it all the time about how, um, you know, experiences from 
my job with, you know, simple things like running a project, how to run a project or, you know, creative things of, or that, that what goes into the creative process of creating a bit of software or a, a, piece, a piece of graphic design or something like that and taking that and applying it to golf. And it's no different. But you're, it's still just trying to produce. But your team members haven't paid for the privilege to be a member. And that's the difference. Once you have a club and people have paid a membership fee, they assume so. It changes the rules, right. doesn't it? The other yeah. thing that happens- Some clubs, like, they'll take that to such an extreme that they won't look to make a profit off their food and beverage operation wow. because they're like, well, that's to serve the members membership. and we make our profit out of other means by, for example, increasing their subscriptions or something. Or you know. Having weddings or whatever. Yeah. Hannah, how can they it- can pay more in one bucket rather than the other. That's yeah. right. It's good. Hannah, how can it be, Hannah? This is the one that staggers me. It's, it's exactly the same sort of thing as you're talking about, that a, a, a board made up of lawyers and doctors and intelligent people can have a serious and legitimate meeting about the length of socks or the colour of socks to be worn on a golf course. Take oh, those, form you, committees. That's right. You I take know a club people. that had a sock committee. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> you, don't, you, didn't, you made that up. No. You're just trying to impress They had a sock <laughs> committee. This is a club that had several dozen committees, but yeah. How does One that of them was a sock happen? This, uh, this goes back to the thing. They had to work out how to, uh, are we, what height socks were So are we weird? If you'd approached any of those people outside the club and said, we need to have a discussion about the p- socks that people are wearing in the office, they would laugh at you. And yet they take this seriously enough to form a committee. What happens? What's the psychological thing that's happened there when they go through the gate? I think that the thing is when they drive through the, you know, and we talked about it right at the beginning about how you get away from your other thing is that they, it is a bit of a lobotomy experience, I think, that you drive through the gates and you're not thinking about work. I'm free to be a big. But unfortunately, what that means is that, you know, that there are CEOs at the table, you know, there's there's a collective of all different kinds of people within a golf club and there are smart business people mm. there everywhere. They shop at Coles. Just because people with BMW shop at Coles doesn't mean people are, you know, people who shop at Coles are rich. That was kind of the analogy I was thinking about last week when we were talking about golf, you know, golfers being rich. But there are smart people here. Mm. And the fact that they don't see this as a business, you know, and they don't think about how they invest this part of their money and this part of their time is probably linked to the fact that this is their time out. Mm. You know, it's it's an active decision to be like, I work when I'm at work and I try not to work here because I don't know about you, but have you ever taken a really big complex work problem in your head to the golf course? Like, how'd that go? Mm. I can tell you how that goes because if I play work, if I play golf in the afternoon, after work, if I go for nine holes with Sam or whoever, I can tell you how bad that looks compared to if I play golf on the weekends. Mm-hmm. It is polar opposites. If I take work problems to golf, it's it's a disaster for me. Like I, it take when you're a new person to golf, it takes. There's a lot of thinking that goes on to make sure you're standing in the right place, holding the club right, is the ball in the right position, this, are you facing the right direction? Have you looked at this? Have you, you know? When, when if you, you try and add you a work problem hands, to that, when, it's hell. So then if you, if you know, I think people probably actively make the decision to stop thinking about work when they get out there. They stand on the first tee, they think, right, this is my time. And I think that that probably carries over into the business decisions. But actually, it just means that at the end of the golf game, just flick on the boardroom thinking five minutes and say, have we got the business model here, right? Does this organisation have a strategic plan given I'm giving however much of my money here? Can I help? That's the big thing. Can I help? Do I know something that would actually help this be better and bigger than it is? And I think the challenge is that people actively switch off Mm. and that means that that doesn't become a conversation there. Unfortunately, the thing I think that gets left on is that commanding thing, like I'm the boss at work, so (laughs) I'm going to be the boss around here. You know, that, there's, a, there's a fight. That, that's the only thing that remains, and you know, often though, that it's that uh, personality characteristic that helps somebody ascend to a board at a golf club um, because you know they want to add that to their resume. I was president of XYZ Golf Club. I was on the sock committee, and then I advanced to the to the pond committee. It was a sub. It was a sub committee. I wish I'd been on the yeah. sock. I'd, I'd love to be on the sock committee. Just, there's a, there's a sitcom oh, in that. Or or a task or force. It was a little. It was a little task force to work out what to do. With sock. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated by your criteria for joining a club 
Hannah, um, I, when you put it in those terms, like I've, I've got, you know, any decision I want to make in life, uh, there's certain criteria and, you know, a Hyundai i30 might meet those criteria and a BMW might not or something, you know, that uh, that that fascinates me. And applying you don't that think decision, about your You don't think about your membership that way, do you? I don't think any golf club member would. No, like my first thought with choosing a club was like, who'll, who'll have me? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, is it an okay game of golf? That that's sort of you know the sort of compromise, and can I afford it? There's somewhere those three things intersected, and I, I, I found okay. I, this, this is where this I'm going to join. Place, yeah. uh, is it nearby home? Is what can I get to it easily? Um, so there's that intersection of a few sort of simple things there, but none of those are my evaluation of the club as a business, no. or you know, or as the like looking at the identity of the club and whether that fits my personality or. Which is what I would do for every other buying decision I make, um, whether it be you know a pen or a, a watch or something like that. There's that; those are the sorts of it's completely different criteria I'm using for every other decision in my life. My observation of your watch habit is that you just buy watches; and you don't give it any thought. You just buy them by the dozen. <laughs> no, there's there's a lot of a lot of thinking that goes into that. Uh, anyway, the um, some is the answer, Hannah. Just stuff them all and make your own golf club. I, I, I once heard this comment, Mike Clayton. Are we back to the USB thing here? No, no. <laughs> Mike, Mike Clayton once made this. Is, we're talking about golf clubs and he goes, you know, just they've got the right idea out at Frankston's. Yeah. Just stuff them all and, you know, you've got your own golf club there. Now, Frankston's right for Frankston's members. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, you know, is, is that the answer? Go and find a piece of land and start mowing and cutting down trees and create your own club that is fits your own identity yeah. or – Look, that we, might be the make- only solution that meets the criteria, yeah. um, but that ain't the solution. You know, leaving the game of golf behind to create one option that's better, that that's not, you know, that in, that's not what innovation looks like. And I think that, you know, fundamentally, we if you do that, then it doesn't actually get better. It just gets better for a small few and it comes back to that, you know, solution, solutions for everyone and the most vulnerable is that what it's going to take to get a place that has, you know, that thinks about how to wipe out the, you know, so if we're going back to some of the things that I found, because I acknowledge that I've not answered a single question you've asked me today, which is, you know, enjoy it. It's why you'll get to come back. for politics yeah. after this, um, you know, is how do we include non-binary people in the game or how do we provide a version of the game that doesn't, isn't, doesn't have a binary gender nature? That'd be a good start. Is, is it easy? No. Is it possible? Absolutely, mm-hmm. and you know, I think we we've got we, we we have to get away from saying you know that that these things are hard because what's harder is no oh, sorry that's super annoying. What's harder is thinking about what life and existence looks like for people who have no safe place to be, you know, who have no inclusive place to be. That's what we need to be working towards. So it's not hard work; it's just business as usual, you know. Inclusive bathrooms, you know, do we have, you know, non-gendered bathroom options on the course? Probably, because I think most of those are considered, you know, at many clubs there are there is only a single bathroom option, so we have an option. But, you know, what does that look like more broadly? A commitment to reconciliation. You know, this is the thing. Do, do we take more, you know, do we start a new club and take more land? Nope. Like, it, that, that ain't an option. What Pretend- we do is we better respect what we've already got. You know, I think golf has made an attempt to do that from a sustainability perspective, from a looking after the, looking, thinking, looking after the land, thinking about giving back, thinking about making an environment for birds and insects, thinking about biodiversity. Done good there, but fundamentally this land belonged to someone before it belonged to whoever this club is and the club ain't paying rent. From a reconciliation perspective, they are not paying rent for that huge, you know, expanse of what they have. It is long overdue that golf finds a way to engage in its the start of its reconciliation journey. The first club that I see that has a really positive, forward-thinking reconciliation action plan around here, they're going to get a call from me because be that is a massive step in the right direction. It may be Northcote, which is a public can, facility. Can you imagine? Be the place. I wonder yeah. how many... How many golf clubs uh, do a welcome to country? Oh, I'd imagine none. An acknowledgement of country? I yeah. Did, uh, I uh, 
Uh, oh, or, yeah, in fact, in knowledge. Yeah, at, you know, yep. none. Yep. N- none that I've been to. Yeah. I think it'd be, yeah, it'd, um, it'd be surprising. I, I'm we've got to let Anna go because she's got a meeting in about five minutes, so very quickly. Oh, no worries. Quick that, sticks. That idea of not necessarily taking up more land for golf, I, I, I love that. And I, I think I mentioned to you recently, Rod, um, there's a watch brand that – uh, which you were fascinated in this conversation. Did my before. eyes glaze over? Um, <laughs> that time too. <laughs> There's a watch brand that finds movements from um, the 1950s and 60s and uh, restores them and put and recases them. Mm. And um, you didn't, but I, produces, I find that interesting. Produces, oh, good. Uh, and the sort of motto of the um, of the the person who does that is, you know, we made enough of everything in the 20th century that it, it should last us through the 21st century. Just keep fixing it. Yeah. repurposing it, making it work again. Yeah. And that's true of golf. We've talked that's about that here before. absolutely true of golf. There's golf don't occupies need to, Don't some, need to build a new course some anywhere. Some really average courses occupy some really yeah, great land. That's right. And we could make a lot better golf out of those courses and reinvent it with some of these ideas about how golf is perceived with its, like, brand identity and, uh, you know, make it more attractive to uh, – you know, people who can't get into the Last game. thing before we let you go, actually, you've only got a couple of minutes, Hannah. Uh, the Australian Open's mixed event starting this year on the Vic Open model. Box ticking or a step forward? Look, I, I'm, uh, I'm a fence-sitter on how I feel about this. I think I've not fully worked through what it means because, you know, I think if everybody's in – I'm for everyone in together. Like, I think that that's a great – option because I think, you know, the all of this game and the women's game should absolutely be showcased on the exact same stage with the same film crews and the same, you know, people interviewing them and following them around the course. They deserve the best. But, I, you know, I, I've been to the, to the Women's Australian Open in Adelaide when it was there and there's something special about that too. Um, you know, there's something really special about having a place and an environment and, you know, a time where not men are celebrated. Um, so, look, I, I think it's really important to bring it together because I think it's, you know, I think that then, you know, is is that going to be one of the first times we see the all-ability game on the TV or is that a no, no, commitment done, to but, making sure that we see those things? I hope so. They've actually done that for um, a few years, Hannah. They've had the all-ability Yeah, and I have seen some of the, that, and the, yeah. the Vic Open too. You know, but how do we how do we make sure that no one loses? I yeah. think is the really important conversation. And so, how do we make sure it's better for everybody? You know, it's better for the groups for whom might be lost um, or who might get less in that um, situation. And I, you know, I don't have the answers. I think that bringing things together is great because I think if you've got a young family and you've got you know a, a kid with special needs or you know, a young daughter and you get to see all of that in the same place um, and everybody gets the opportunity to think, you know what, yep, this is actually a place for everybody, that's awesome. Like that's a very, very good outcome. I think the focus must be on making sure that everybody gets the showcase that they deserve. The the irony of the Vic Open experience, and I've been to a few, it is the best tournament to go to in Australia. It's not the most important championship, but it's the best tournament. You've probably been there as well. The irony of that, of course, is that for most of the time since it's been a mixed event, uh, the women's event has been the premier event. If you had to choose between the two, it's been the more interesting. It's had the better fields for all sorts of reasons, but <clears throat> you, you don't like to put it that way, but the men have kind of played second fiddle in a way uh, at that. I don't know that that'll happen at the Australian. If you had Rory McElroy tee up in the Australian Open in that mixed environment, I think you do have the potential for somebody to lose there being all the crowds follow. It's true of the other blokes in the field as well. Everybody loses when everybody follows Rory. So I accept what you're saying, but I, I, I'm giving it a tick. I think it's a we need something bold and we need some innovation. It might not be perfect, but at least it's something to start. In Gets the world's attention. There needs to be a whole lot more done around it than just take the good press from last week and say, there we go. We've done it now. There needs to be a whole bunch of stuff going to that to really Yeah, and, and I think that, that that's the important thing. You know, yes, it's good to make this particular thing visible, but where's the visibility on the other stuff? You know, where is the commitment to a bunch of these other things from, you know, from the Australian bodies for these things? Make them visible. Let us know that change is happening. Let us know what you're thinking because that means that we can celebrate and champion the game and the things that are changing about it well beyond 
you know, having to dig on a website for a four-page strategic plan to say, oh, there is actually a commitment to women in golf. And women in golf is a bad example because, you know, there's Vision 2025 and, and other things. But make it visible, you know, and this can't be the only commitment. You know, this is, yes, one step, but it's a the first step in, you know, what needs to be an extensive journey towards making the game more inclusive. And much more grassroots. This is just a showcase and it, it'll get all the attention and the lights, but the real work has to happen at the grassroots. Hannah, we better let you go. I know you've got a meeting with the US. It's been fantastic to talk to you. I don't think it's going to be the last time. I've barely scratched it. I've got mm. a bunch of questions here that I haven't even started on, all sorts of things. So we're going to have to get you back, but thanks for taking some time today. I really appreciate it. It's been fabulous. Look, it's my absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're weird. It's pleasure. Good Lord, what's wrong with people? And <laughs> good to have you along as always, mate. Uh, thanks, Rod, to extend your car analogy from the start. I think we've just reached another – we've reached a giveaway sign at this point. The journey <laughs> roundabout. Started. We haven't reached our destination. No, well, yeah. it is a journey, not a destination. That's always been my take on golf. Episode 108 of the Good Good Golf po- Podcast. Done. Episode 109, hopefully coming next week. I think we might talk about Northcote soon. It's been moving down there, so we might yeah. do something about that. Uh, next week, here on the Good Good Golf Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>